It takes a village to raise a child. It's quite rare today to be surrounded by friends and family when having a child. And so, for many, especially first-time parents, it can be a lonely journey with a lot of unexpected discoveries along the way. The aim of a village is to give you a place to hear honest stories from regular people on the parenting front line. No unsolicited advice, what's right for one person might not be for another. Take what you need, ignore what you don't. Thank you for listening. Your host, Poppy. Before giving birth to my daughter Tiggy, it felt like all the stories I heard were either I breathed the baby out or we all nearly died. Whilst both of these happen, it wasn't my experience of birth. For me, birth flows like life through highs and lows, positives and negatives, laughs and tears. Each story you hear will be unique to that person, because whilst there may be similarities, no two births are exactly alike. This is Fran's birth story. Before we start, I want to share an important trigger warning. Fran talks in depth about her miscarriage. I think her bravery and vulnerability is formidable. She talks about how little she knew about pregnancy loss, and after recording, she told me that she wanted to share in case the information helped someone else. With this in mind, please be aware that we go into details, and I haven't edited her description. If this might be triggering for you, and you want to skip, this section starts about 9 minutes in. Her conversation about grief is at 18 minutes, and we move on at 20 minutes. There is a brief return between 27 and 29 minutes, and she reflects again at the end of the episode. I would stress once more that every pregnancy and birth is different. And if you are worried at all, please contact your midwife, the triage number or your GP. Fran also talks about her mum's successful battle with lymphoma, a birth story connection with Jessie J and a pretty quick labour after induction. Thank you for listening. Hello, so um, I am here with Fran and she is currently breastfeeding Robin. Um, hi Fran, how are you doing? Hello, I'm okay. Yeah, I'm just trying to, well, she's sort of feeding, but I'm hoping that what will really happen is that she falls asleep fairly soon. That would be, that's always ideal. So how old is Robin now? She is going to be eight weeks tomorrow. So she's still in that lovely floppy stage. Um, so... You've got quite a wonderful and emotional story um, yeah. to tell us here, which I'm really, really excited about. Um, so you're you're married to Jake, and when did you get married? We got married um, June 17, uh, 2022. So tell us a little bit about you, Fran. What do you do? Where You're from Wales originally. Yeah, I'm from Wales. Um, yeah, grew up in a really small rural town in Abergavenny, um, which is sort of South Wales-ish, um, and hated it, thought it was the most boring place in the whole world. All my friends would make me go camping every weekend, which was awful, and we'd go and like swim in reservoirs, and we'd go and walk up mountains and like ride horses, and I just thought it was all gross and boring, and I just wanted the like lights of London um in my eyes and and wanted cities and culture and adventure um and now I'm older I really love Wales (laughs) 
and like think camping's wonderful and how awesome was it that we would go like what is now known as you know wild swimming I had no idea what that was when we were younger we just go and run in the nearest uh the nearest body of water so yeah, yeah. what you work in you work I would say that you work in fashion but how would you describe yourself um I am well I mean I'm uh, currently tour myself according to HMRC unemployed <laughs> so I work I sort of well yeah I sort of do bits and bobs I'm I'm a, have been a social media manager for a long time and um, working in various different industries predominantly in like fashion retail so tell us when did you decide or did you decide that you wanted to try and have children was there like a specific moment had you always wanted kids um Funnily enough, I really didn't want kids for a long like I never thought that I did. I didn't feel particularly maternal. Um, I found I sometimes found being around other people's kids quite annoying because they're just really tiring. <laughs> I love like my own kids, like you know, as in my you know, family's kids or my friends' kids, but other kids I just look at and be like, God, oh, that just looks like hard work. And I voiced this to Jake like probably three or four years ago now, and it wasn't really sure what his opinion was. And he actually turned around to me and said, Oh, if you don't want kids, it's a deal breaker. That would be, you know, that would I really want to be a dad. And I was like, Oh, okay. I guess I'd never really asked him that question before. So it was quite a shock to me. So I suddenly had to start thinking it like, oh God, I'm gonna have to think about this seriously. Cause I mean, yeah, Jake was just obviously the person that I was meant to be with. Yeah, I came to terms with it and decided it was definitely what I wanted to do. And we'd always said we'd get to around, uh, you know, 34, sort of that, you know, early early 30s before we'd start trying. And so 20, 21, um, which was still a quite, you know, quite a shocker of a year for a lot of people. Anyway, we just came out of lockdown in June 2021. Uh, my mum came really very ill, very, very suddenly. Um, and at first we weren't sure what was going on. It was very scary. She showed, was showing sort of signs of psychosis and um, was rapidly, her health was rapidly declining and I actually had quit my job, so I was going to go home. The day I got there, she was showing signs of having a stroke. So we quickly whisked her into hospital. Very trauma- traumatic time. But we found out that actually what was happening was she was having some, a very fast-growing brain tumours um, and was diagnosed with CNS lymphoma, which is a, a, t- a very, very rare form of lymphoma that just affects the central nervous system. So that was kind of what was causing the psychosis and the stroke was the tumours just pressing on her brain. So, yeah, that was, um, yeah, that was a very challenging, very, very, very worrying time for my family. And I actually moved home to be with my dad at that point because he was going into the hospital every single day. And around this time, my brother was um, and his wife were pregnant and Jake and I were actually going to start trying. We talked about it. We were going to start trying to get pregnant the following January. So January 2022. And by the end of the summer, mum was actually, I mean, she is like a medical miracle. I mean, she was, they gave her like weapons grade chemotherapy and she took to it so well that she only ended up having to have two rounds of chemotherapy as opposed to what the original four rounds and by the end of the year, by kind of October, 
So after getting diagnosed in June, June, July, by October, she was having a stem cell transplant. And I just sort of thought to Jake, like, you know, when you get, when you, when you see a parent in that position, it changes your world, doesn't it? It's all, you just think, I don't want to miss a moment. Like, why are we waiting for something so special that we want? Let's go ahead and, and try for a baby now. Um, so we did. Um, I think we started trying like August um, and we were, or maybe a bit earlier, um, we were pregnant in September, um, I think. I'm trying to think of my timings. Yeah, I think it was September. We started trying and uh, after three months, so it didn't take very long, I found out I was pregnant and we were really really it was it was wonderful news in my head what I kept thinking was oh this is going to be great news for my family this is going to be like the positive news that my family needs and I in hindsight looking back it just wasn't necessarily the right timing that's not the right re reason to have a baby we were already in such a stressful time we didn't know how mum was going to respond to stem cell treatments um I think I was doing it for the wrong reasons um I I really wanted just to give my family some hope and some excitement and and it and it did it really did um for that moment but very very sadly um when we'd got to 10 weeks um I started bleeding and I didn't really know much about miscarriages before um it happened so when I saw some bleeding, I just thought, oh, you know, it'll be absolutely fine. It'll be fine. Like, you know, uh, and, and I remember having a conversation with my sister and she was like, oh, you know, loads of friends had bleeds. It's really common. Like, you're not going to have a miscarriage. Don't worry about it. Can you describe for us, if you don't mind, how, um, what did you see? So the it happened over the course of a couple of days. I'm like trying to wrap my brains to what happened. So. I think I would I first of all I saw kind of darkish like darkish blood so it wasn't really really fresh and it's just a bit of spotting um and I was thinking oh you know this is I'm sure this is some part of part of it I don't think it's a big deal it's not like loads of blood um I wasn't having intense cramping in my stomach with all of the things that the you know the web NHS website says is a miscarriage so I wasn't really sure what to do about it but I I spoke to Jake and we said look you know we'd actually only a few days beforehand had gone and had our booking in appointments so we had our blue book and on the back of it obviously is your emergency numbers and so we decided to call the emergency obstetrician line because it was out it was out of hours so we called them and they said, any bleeding, you know, and she, she said, oh, have you got any cramping? And I said, I've got the mildest. And it really was like the mildest of cramps in my stomach. It could have even just been like a bit of trapped wind. Like I really it was not like a period cramp or anything. But I said that to her and she went, if you've got a bit of pain and, you're, and you've got a bit of bleeding, go to like, just go into um, A&E, which because all of their scans and units were closed because it was after hours. So we went into A&E and they saw me pretty quickly and, and they, they did a pregnancy test and they said, oh, you're still pregnant. And they felt my stomach and they said, oh, I think nothing's wrong. But um, if you get any more bleeding, come back. So we went back home, went to bed. And then the next morning I woke up and the bleeding had intensified and it was now more like a period. 
Um, and so I did think, oh, shit. Um, and they had booked us in then for um, a scan in the kind of early neonatal unit. Um, and again, I just walked in and I was thinking this is going to be fine. Like this, I didn't think I wasn't panicking. I wasn't worried. I just thought, you know, this will be fine. I'm sure it's fine. And then, um, yeah, they 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 called my name and they brought us in. And, um, you know, I just looking back on it now, obviously it wasn't fine. I had no, but they were two nurses were there checking the scan and they kind of called another person in just to double check. There was no noise. There's nothing. And then she just said, yeah, we've um, the baby's gone. Um, and I was just instantly inconsolable. I mean, I just. I don't even remember, I, I, I assume Jake was the first person to stand up and like hug me, but I don't, I don't even know. I just, I, it was like my whole world had been turned upside down in that moment. And it just, you know, it was, yeah, it was absolutely devastating. And then they took us into like a separate room and this is kind of where sadly it, I, I love the NHS and I'm you know a big advocate for it, but we were really failed at this moment and it and it was really hard to deal with because we were just left in this room for far too long by ourselves, not knowing what was going on. Um and finally somebody came in and she just kind of gave me a pamphlet and gave me some sad looks and said, Oh, go home. Maybe you might want to take some paracetamol but just didn't tell me what was about to happen because it turns out that I'd had a missed miscarriage. So I was at the very, very start um, of the miscarriage and um, didn't know what was about to happen. And we, we got home and about a couple of hours later, it really, it started, properly started. And I have never been in so much pain. I was writhing on the bed in pain. I had to get Jake to call an ambulance because I was like, what the fuck is this? This is horrendous. Um, and we went to A&E um, again, back in A&E again. And um, they, Jake came in for, for a while and then we were sort of left um, too long. And Jake went up and said, look, we've been here for hours. What's going on? And they turned around and went, you're not supposed to be here. You have to leave. So they left, they, Jake turned out wasn't allowed to be in there because it was still, it was, you know, st we were still in, it was still kind of very kind of COVID regulations. So then he had to leave and then I'm just left, I was just left in the waiting room, but turns out I was in the wrong side of the waiting room. I was actually sat with all of the people that had suspected COVID and nobody told me. And they were on, they had been calling my name a few times around the corner, but they'd actually discharged me. So I ended up waiting in the waiting room for like seven hours. Yeah, it was, it, it was, it was absolutely horrendous. This whole time just bleeding and bleeding and having the miscarriage in, in basically in the toilet of the, of Homerton Hospitals and A&E. It was, and then they finally saw me and the, you know, the obstetrician who saw me was really lovely. And she said, look, you know, this is, it, it, it is all, it's all gone um but there was a little bit of like kind of cells and stuff left and blood and she said I'll take what's left and we do a memorial service for all the babies that we lose and and we cremate the babies and and you, you know do you want us to do that and I said yes please and they do they like they like candles every on I think it's on like miscarriage awareness day once a year so you know and they kind of have a moment for all the lost babies so Oh, yeah, even to think about it now, it's like making me all 
tingly and weird. That's a huge. Um... Yeah. But yeah, I yeah, it's dark and deep, and I had no idea. Nobody, I had no idea that that was what it was like to have a miscarriage. It was, I kind of you you hear these, you know, you see things on 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 telly or you hear things like someone just had a really big bleed and that was that but I wasn't expecting the pain I wasn't expecting the emotional trauma um and then you know what comes afterwards just nobody knows how to talk to you or what to say and I had you know friends and family say things like oh it just wasn't a viable pregnancy oh isn't it good that at least you could get pregnant and and everybody was was trying to help and trying to say the right thing but everything felt like the wrong thing to say all you want to hear is that was fucking shit. <laughs> yeah. Thank you so much for sharing that. Um, so afterwards, did you, how did you feel about trying again? I really struggled. I needed a lot of time. I think one of the things that I wasn't expecting from the miscarriage was the the sense of loss. Like that's what actually I really wanted people to say was like, I'm sorry for your loss because you grieve you absolutely grieve you grieve the sense of excitement that you had that moment when you you see the you know you see that you're pregnant that the conversations that you have about how, you know what this little person's going to be like how your life is going to change the sense of kind of hope all of that just gone you know and and that alone is just horrible that it's been taken away from you um but then also you know you grieve the loss of the, the baby that could be um and so I really grieved. It took me a really, really long time to just not, you know, wake up in the morning and cry. Um, and Jake, his way of coping, he just wanted to start trying again. He did not in the slightest kind of like put any pressure on me. He could see very much that I needed that. But I think for him, he didn't, he, his way of kind of dealing with the situation was he just wanted to like try again so he didn't have to sit through the grief because it was just really really difficult for both of us and then I think we decided that we like we said at the beginning I was we would plan to get married in October so we thought well let's you know look let's hold off from trying I just needed more time let's let's focus on get back on to focusing on the wedding at this point we like a few months later then into 2022 we knew my mum was getting better and she'd been you know she'd having a strength stem cell transplant had gone well um and just very quickly to rewind is there anything that you would share in terms of it's a very specific type of grief a miscarriage I think yeah um, and obviously all grief is important and all grief is different but that's a grief that's kind of shared by the pair of you is there anything that you would say looking back that you think you helped you as a couple or during that time that you would share i i think that i think especially as the kind of the the the, the mother you know and the one that had the physical miscarriage don't you know i i i just assumed that i was the one that was having the worst time and that i was the one that was really suffering and that Jake wasn't you know especially considering he wanted to try again so soon i just assumed oh he was he's fine he's not you know he's not suffering as much as I'm suffering um but that was completely incorrect and it was really only until we we became pregnant again I really I realized just how much it had affected Jake but his what he 
wanted to do was to just show you know strength as a lot of men do and I don't think this is right but he just wanted to show strength and courage for the both of us and he could see how upset I was so he didn't want to put his feelings on top of that so he stayed I'm not I, I don't know a better word to say than strong it wasn't really it, I think it was more just that he was hiding how he was feeling and I wish that I'd known that because it was difficult sometimes I felt like I was really grieving and he and he wasn't grieving as much and I questioned that and um and I think he just didn't want to put any more emotions on top of how I was already feeling um so I think talking just talking more as a couple and realizing actually just because you are you're the one that had the physical miscarriage you're both really grieving that the what I said before it's that loss like loss of like the hope and excitement that you both had about these you know the 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 future that was ahead of you it's definitely something you go through as a couple but it can be it can be isolating if you don't talk to each other and work out how you're both feeling what you both need to get through the grief yeah definitely so you got married and then you started trying again and I actually think there's some stories you need to tell us about both conceptions yeah it's gonna sound really like who do witchy weird I'm like I'm convinced so the first time we tried and 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 so we tried for three months and um and I was using a fertility tracking app and the the first time um in month three wasn't particularly there's nothing like I don't know we just we, we just had sex one day and um as we had been doing for that week but the moment we finished in my head I just went that's done it I'm pregnant and then lo and behold two weeks later I just it was weird it was like the it was like it was it wasn't like an an excited thought it wasn't like a really emotional thought it was really just clear and definite it was I'm pregnant I just it was so clear it's like done it and then yeah finally enough I'm I was pregnant and then with Robin it feels it's even more epic right (laughs) Robin so um yeah so again I had the same sort of thought after we'd finished like that's done it but we'd been we had been um trying and it's towards the end of my fertility um window um and we I was just I, this sounds awful I was just like a bit over having <laughs> trying to have sex and I thought oh maybe not tonight I can't be bothered um but then as the evening got on and it got later and later, I was like, I really need, like, we really need to do this today. And I was getting this overwhelming feeling that we just had to have sex that day. And Jake likes to go to bed at nine o'clock at night and is almost like completely comatose by about 9.15. And anytime I try and talk to him or get him to do anything, it's like he's on drugs. Like he cannot open his eyes. He's completely out of it. And I was like, Jake, this is really important. I really think we need to have sex right here, right now. And it took us a few, like, I think by the time we finally got round to it, it was like close to midnight. And there was a massive clap of thunder outside. And this thunderstorm just starts. And I was like, this is it. That's the, that's done it. That was it. Yeah, the first time trying again. And we we got pregnant immediately. So we took, it took the first the first month of trying and and uh which was um was definitely a sort of a blessing and a curse it was great because it meant it took out you know the anxiety of is this going to happen how many more months you know 
the the waiting period is is really difficult you know each month getting you know getting your period can be really tough but also it was so fast I'm not sure I don't know if I was like quite ready I thought I would have a few months to kind of get my head around the fact that you know we were gonna try for a baby and I was potentially gonna be pregnant again so did um, you find how are those first I mean I imagine the whole pregnancy was difficult but definitely those the first trimester because of the previous miscarriage it was definitely tough um there was definite real differences between the first pregnancy and the second one which I think really really helped so the first pregnancy I didn't have any symptoms it's just looking back probably you know telling but the second pregnancy, after I think I hit six weeks, I was just smacked in the face with so many first trimester symptoms. I mean, I was just walking around, just retching at everything. I retched so hard once the dog looked like panicked and, and looked and looked at me and ran away because I was just this horrible beast retching in the kitchen. Were you being sick as well or just was it just... No. No, I was only sick once. So, and where did you find out you were pregnant? So, like I said, it was the first first try, and I just wasn't convinced that it was, uh, apart from our, you know, wonderful orgasmic thunderstorm night, I wasn't expecting to be pregnant immediately. But we were going on holiday to visit Jake's family who were in, live in America. By the time we were due to fly, it was five days before my 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 period was due so I decided to take one of the and like an early pregnancy test because I was thinking in my mind well I don't think I'm pregnant but I want to be sure because I don't want to go on holiday and drink loads and loads of alcohol as you do and then find out five days in that I was in fact pregnant if I am pregnant then you know I obviously need to uh, curtail some of the fun stuff so i we got to Heathrow Airport and I went to Boots and um, bought a pregnancy test and Jake was waiting for me in the um, champagne and seafood bar, which we is our tradition on holiday. We always want to go and find, if there is one, the champagne and seafood bar. Doesn't matter what time it is, it could be seven in the morning and we'll have a plate of smoked salmon and a glass of champagne or for him a glass of white wine. So literally everything you can't have when you're pregnant. <laughs> yeah. So I went and uh, off I trot and went into the toilet and um, lo and behold, there was, it was very faint, but there was, there were the blue lines and I just jumped, like I just jumped up and down in the toilet, like immediately felt excited and happy, like flooded with emotions. I just could not believe it and walked out to Jake who was sat there with food and wine in front of him. And I just went, oh, Jake, that's really bad news. And he looked crestfallen and I went you know I just I'm, it's gutting because I'm not going to be able to have a drink and he looked at me and I was like showed wave the pregnancy <laughs> test at him in front of everybody else around the seafood bar eating their lovely expensive like smoked salmon and I'm waving this stick and and we just yeah both kind of did, had a little cry and hugged and and I just said yeah bad news I can't have any champagne that's brilliant and I think well you mentioned there's also a bit of a weird link between you and Jessie J yeah this is really I always think this is really weird and I tell people and they just look at me like you you sound like a stalker um so going back to the first pregnancy when I was sat in the waiting room before I had my scan to find out what was going on um they made me sit in there by myself just because they didn't want they wanted to keep numbers down 
so Jake was outside waiting and he came into the scan when it was time, but he couldn't sit in the reception with me. So I was sat in there by myself and I was, you know, just trying to distract myself looking at my phone and they have a TV in front of the, um, the seats. And I hadn't really been paying attention, but suddenly decided to just look up and see what was on the telly. And there was Jesse J. And in massive black letters was the word miscarriage. I mean, I know you can't censor, like you can't, you know, you can't censor the news, but it was really, really rubbish timing for probably a lot of women sat in there as well. But just to look up and see miscarriage, and it turns out Jessie J had had a miscarriage a few days before and and um, she was on stage performing um, a few days later and talking to her audience about it, which is incredibly brave of her. And even at that point, I looked at that and I went, oh, don't take that as an omen. Don't, you know, don't think anything about it, obviously. As we know, it was. Um, and then weirdly, about a few weeks after I had, um, turned, had turned 12 weeks, loads of news stories come out saying Jessie J is pregnant after after miscarriage and I thought that's weird timing like we miscarried at the same time and now we are pregnant at the same time like okay that's a funny coincidence and then she's been very very open and talked a lot in her um on her Instagram about pregnancy after loss and and about you know her birth and I never really I didn't even follow her to begin with I but I kind of tuned into this at this point because actually it was just weirdly comforting having just somebody who was actually I don't know but was going through the same thing and being very open and honest because I just did not feel like I could or would, wanted to share my story on Instagram I'm like you know my friends who knew knew I didn't need to like project it to the world but I do think it's really important to talk about this so I was like yeah well done Jesse J like you know be honest and you're being very vulnerable and then like I find out a few months into her pregnancy she, she says how she, how she found out she was pregnant and again weirdly she was on holiday and decided to do a pregnancy test in the toilet of the airport and found out that she was pregnant just before they went on holiday there's some weird link there Uncanny. I love it so, yeah. tell us a little bit about how your pregnancy was so you said that you had pretty horrendous uh, symptoms in the first trimester what was the second and third trimester like? And did you have any extra scans or anything like that? Yeah, so I went, so it, getting into the first trimester, um, I felt quite overwhelmed when I found out I was pregnant and anxious. And I called my GP, who were lovely. And I just said, look, I, you know, I, I, I'm, this, this pregnancy has happened way quicker. I thought I'd have a few months to kind of get, get to grips with the idea of being pregnant again. Um, and I'm very anxious. And my GP referred me to the early pregnancy unit. So we actually had a, a first scan. I think it was six or seven weeks. And it was called a reassurance scan. And it's just to check that that um, you know, that everything was developing and there was a heartbeat. That was great actually. It was I, I found that to be really comforting to have that. And then also, like I said, it was that my symptoms were very different from the first time around. So I was I felt just constantly sick, retching, very tired, uh, sleeping for like hours and hours and hours and hours and hours. Um, I was getting headaches. Uh, if there was anything else. I just remember feeling like crap. <laughs> like lots of like heart, um, like yeah, lots of like moments of just feeling very like resentful <laughs> towards my husband. And like birthday had cooked me a stir fry 
which I normally love. But then the next morning, which happened to be my birthday, I came downstairs and the kitchen smelt really intensely of garlic. I was really cross that it smelt of garlic. And I like, I think I like stomped my feet and he laughed because it was like, you know, silly. And I just burst into tears and I was like, you don't understand. This is the worst birthday ever. <laughs> <laughs> um, and when did those feel the nausea stop? Did it carry on beyond the first trimester? It's, it did. I think I finally stopped feeling sick at about 14 weeks. I had a weird food aversion, so I just couldn't even open the fridge. Like, I could not look at food. I think all I really wanted to eat was bowls of cereal. I just didn't, I, I couldn't open the fridge door because if I looked in there, I'd just start retching. It didn't matter what was in there, just everything made me feel sick. I think I just basically lived off waffles that you can put, this is a nice tip, you can put potato waffles from frozen into the toaster and they come out completely cooked and it was wonderful. They were just immediately, immediate carbs on tap. It was great. Um, and, and lots of just like toast and like, yeah, chips and carby bits, basically. Yeah, the forward trimester. Talk to us a little bit about your sleep. Oh, God. I, um, I was pretty anemic I think during my second trimester and potentially my third as well but I kind of got on top of it um so I was very fatigued throughout most of my pregnancy even the second one I kept waiting for that second trimester glow up that you're supposed to get which was bullshit I just felt like crap um but I did have days where I felt fine and I would actually have days where I'd forget I was pregnant which was lovely um, but yeah, the, the third trimester just really hit me in the face the moment I approached, the moment it it uh, it arrived and I just stopped sleeping. And the more pregnant I got, the less sleep I was getting because um, I was getting really bad restless legs. So I'd get into bed and it would feel like my entire body was like tingling. And I just like all I wanted to do was just like tense every muscle um, and then release everything just to try and like melt away the tension. And I would, I would like get Jake to try and like give me leg massages, which again, like I said before, after nine o'clock, Jake is like dead to the world. So he's there just like sort of get like tapping my my leg now and again. I'll be like, oh, I need to put your feet on something really cold. And they suggested a radiator and I was like not cold enough. So I'd get Jake to get, to get ice packs from the freezer and put ice packs on the end of my feet just to kind of like control the nerves the feeling of the nerves to just to just divert them away from the rest of my body and just to like to focus on that one area of my feet and that actually did really it's horrible not really what you want to do just before you're trying to go to bed but ice packs on the end of your feet if you've got restless legs really worked yeah. lead us up to the moment of labor and birth so how far along were you when um robin came having had quite an eventful 36 or 37 week appointment where my midwife was like oh my goodness baby's head is engaged and she feels really low down and we basically then cancelled all of our plans with all friends and family and we're like we're having this baby tomorrow uh, we zipped through the house we sorted the nursery out we like panic bought loads of stuff she ended up coming at nearly 42 weeks I gave birth at 41 plus six. <laughs> wow. Wow, wow, wow. Tell me a little bit about those, because I find that 
that last period, that limbo period, when you hit 37 weeks, it's a very strange time, especially even and especially when you go past 40 weeks. Tell us yeah, a little bit. struggled. Those last few weeks felt like an eternity. I think from about 37 weeks onwards, every day, like every week that passed, I was like, have I really got to go through another week of this? And the days just start getting longer and longer. I'm sorry to anybody who's pregnant when they're listening to this, but it it is it's a mental game towards the end. You just have to know you'll give birth to your baby, even though it feels like you never will. And yeah. I I had a um we did an antenatal group um which we loved and we've got some really lovely friends from that um and but there was 10 of us in the group and I was the very last one to um due to give birth so I was watching all of these babies arrive and um I had a whatsapp group with all the mums and all of the messages were kicking off you know oh my baby does this my baby does that and I'm there like yeah I'm still pregnant yeah I'm, I'm still pregnant they were like how are you doing friend I'm, pre- I'm still pregnant so let's let's get to the main event <laughs> yeah. so when did you start feeling contractions what time of day um give us a little bit of the surrounding the the setup the set up the scene for us I really wanted to um give birth without any interventions and my midwife had started talking to me about an induction on around 39 weeks, as they do. And I was like, absolutely not. No way, no how. Um, I also found out that I had strep B. So I knew that there was a, there was a, a small, but there was a risk of, of um, an infection. So I didn't want to yeah, like... Tell us a little bit about what strep B is for anyone who doesn't know. So strep B is just, it's really common. Um, lots and lots of people have it. It's just basically a little bit of bacteria that's that's I think it's it kind of lives in your like birth canal or and um or well no not even your birth canal basically it's just like it can be because I think they can you can you can have a swab to see if you have it you don't have to in the UK it's not um it's not mandatory in the US it is they make everybody swab for it but in the UK you don't have to so you know, there's plenty of people that go into birth knowing, not knowing if they've got it or not. But if you do know you have it, there are a few things that they they put in place because to be you know um, be extra careful because what it can do is um, uh, infection for you and for potentially for baby. So when you how did you find out how did you find out that you had it? So I I um had them I had the swab done. And they just, they just, te- I got a text a few days later saying, we found a bit of, uh, that we found some strep B. So um, it just means that, yeah, you, you have to be careful if your waters break and you don't have contractions or, um, you know, once you're in labour, um, you need to start having um, antibiotics, a drip, an antibiotic drip every four hours. You can still have lots of you know different birth styles that I think you can have a birth at home I think you can still have a water birth but they just that's just like a kind of an extra layer of monitoring that will happen but for me it meant that I really didn't want to have any basically any interventions that weren't necessary so I didn't want to have a membrane sweep I didn't want to be induced just in case my waters break broke but I didn't start contracting um so I really pushed it off and and fought my midwives who were lovely like I love my midwives but they were like oh are you sure are you sure anyway it got to 41 weeks and I I text my midwife saying I'm I'm done being pregnant now I want everything 
I want you to give me a membrane sweep and I want an induction. I'm, I've had enough now. Um, and they booked me in for nine o'clock at night um, on Friday. So at the end of the week. And that was 41 plus. That was 41 plus five. So I still was hoping that things would just happen by themselves. So we, we just said, like, let's book it. The last possible um, appointment was at nine o'clock at night. Uh, crossed. I don't need to use it. Anyway, uh, I get to nine o'clock and nothing has happened. I'd even had a membrane sweep the day before. Uh, my midwife really tried to get, you know, as far up there as she possibly could. She was, I was like on the dilated at all at that I was I think I was one centimeter dilated and she was like trying to help move things along like at one point she is like her fist is right up there and she's like pushing her hand on the wall she's like I just I'm really sorry about this let me just I think I can get another finger in there <laughs> that is just such an image isn't it the things that you you look back at it when you're now and you're like wow what the things that I let happen not that it was bad but just like at the time you don't think anything of it no not at all no not at all getting fisted by your midwife (laughs) (laughs) so that was 41 plus five and nine o'clock at night and you're and we are sent to um the Templar ward where they um there's just tents there's just um beds and curtains and you go and have your induction and you lie on this bed but it turned out there was absolutely not a single bed available and thanks to my husband who is the fine person I've ever met in my life and I'm the opposite I'm late for everything he was like we have to get there early like there's no we don't know where we're going we need to be there early because you're gonna we're gonna panic and I listened to him for once so I was like absolutely fine and then the door um, you need to go to triage and you need to go and sit and basically wait in triage. There's no beds here. They're going to have to induce you on the labour ward. Um, um, as we're turning around to go, this another pregnant woman turns up and she's in such a fluster. And and, and the nurse who just told us, you know, that all the beds are empty, didn't bother to explain to this poor woman what she just told us. She just went, oh, go to triage. So this other pregnant woman starts marching ahead of me. Jake turns around and is like, you've just lost your, you've just lost your place in the queue to have an induction. I'm like, shit. I turned up at triage and this woman is like in such a pl- fluster at reception. She's like, I don't know where I'm, I'm supposed to be here for induction. Nobody's seen me. They've just told me to come here. I don't know what's going on. And I just say to her, look, don't worry. I was just told by the nurse. We just need to wait here. There's no beds. I'm at the same position as you. She was 41 plus six. And I was like, I'm 41 plus five. They're just going to sit here until the beds are coming. So we both sat down. A midwife comes out and goes, oh, we'll be with you in a, in, a, in a moment. This other pregnant woman then gets up and goes into the toilet. And the midwife comes back out again and goes, okay, so who's here for an induction? And I went, me. <laughs> and this person, this woman's wife, uh, husband is like looking around panicking being like oh my wife's in the toilet and she goes oh, okay well I'll just take this woman first pointing at me and pulls us through into the doors and we go into um, a room in the delivery suite and the midwife went you're in luck this is the only bed left in the entire place like everywhere there are no beds she said earlier on we were really quiet and now tonight for some reason every single woman wants to have their baby so I was just thinking yes 
<laughs> really sorry woman in the toilet but thank god i'm not sat in the, i'm not sat in the reception because it was also the, the weekend where we had a really again another very uh hot um we are uh, very hot weather so it was absolutely boiling like we were sweating in that reception room it's horrible and you spent enough time in in uh, hospital waiting rooms for oh, a year or so so yeah um okay, so you went in what what happened next so um i was just feeling a bit like anxious as you do i didn't want an induction um and i hoped that it would happen naturally so i was not feeling like really confident at this stage um and i'd heard some slightly unnerving stories about um from some of my antenatal mums who'd had an induction and hadn't gone very well so that was sort of in my head um and i um we yeah i, I think just that the after the whole drama of like being sent from one ward to the other and trying to race the other pregnant woman um my you know yeah my kind of anxiety my my adrenaline was up and I was feeling a bit anxious and then we seemed to have this really militant midwife who was very serious very very medical not like a lot of sense of humor and um she said oh you're here for an induction and I said oh yes I'm, I'm hoping not to have to have the hormone drip I would knew fully well what the process of an induction meant. I knew that, it, you know, I'd really done my research. My midwife had properly clued me up on it. But this midwife, she just assumed that I didn't know what was going on because I'd said, I don't want this. And she launched into this, like, speech about, oh, you need to know what's going on. Like, this is how an induction works. You are going to have to have the hormone drip. You can't just get off the train once it started. And she, like, starts talking me. And like, she's talking a mile a minute and I am getting more and more nervous as she's saying this and I'm just thinking, oh my God, this is terrifying. Um, and then the next thing I know, they're taking my blood pressure and it's sky high. And I just said, I'm really anxious. And they went, okay, well, we'll wait, we'll wait a few minutes and we'll try again. And she gave me about five minutes, tried again. It was still sky high. And then tried again, it was still sky high. And at this point, every time I heard the like inflating noise of the armband going on, it would like send, my heart would start racing because I was thinking, oh my God, I need to ace this blood pressure test. It can't be high again. And obviously it was high again. So they brought the, they, they brought the obstetricians in and they said, look, you know, we're going to have to keep you here. Your, your blood pressure is really high. You might have preeclampsia. And I said, oh, I'm just anxious. I'm really anxious. And they went, that doesn't make a difference. Anxiety wouldn't cause your blood pressure to go high. Obviously, it does. But, you know, when with, with things like that, they just don't mess around in hospitals. So they were never going to go, OK, you know, maybe it's all right. They did check me for preeclampsia. It wasn't. It was just anxiety. Um but they, yeah, they weren't taking any chances. So, so my militant midwife went right. So, um, you're uh, not coming out of this room until you have a baby. Good luck. And <laughs> then, thankfully, turned around and went. I've got a labour to attend to. I'll come and check on you again in the morning. And I was like, oh, okay, see ya. And then, in walks our our midwife, who actually did end up being there for the whole thing and she is the complete opposite of this other midwife she's so laid back she's quite like I 
I think she must have been in like her 50s or 60s. She's probably seen a million births. And she was just exactly what I needed at that point. She was just, she just was like, yeah, so we're going to have a baby. Great. You know, how's mum and dad doing? You're right. You've got some water. Just totally like chilled out. And, and yeah, that. Just quickly, had you taken your hospital bag with you when you went to get the induction? We did. Yes, we did. That was, that was good planning. Although I don't think I used a single thing. I think I just totally forgot that everything everything we packed was in there. So we barely used anything. But we did. We had so we, we were at least we were prepared. We were ready to stay. Um Yeah. So you have this new midwife come in and yeah. she's everything you need. And what's what's the next thing that happened? So um my first militant midwife had administered the first round. So the induction starts off, you have um, a gel inserted and they give you 24 hours um, before if to see if anything happens before they insert another round of the same gel um, if that doesn't work you then after six hours I think they give you a hormone drip which is what I didn't want to have because I just heard that it was quite uncomfortable um, so I'd had the first gel inserted at this point and the pressure and I- Yes, and that had been pla- that had, that had been inserted at about midnight at this point after given read the riot act and all the blood pressure. So presumably that- it's midnight on Friday and Jake is normally comatose by nine o'clock. How's he faring? I think he's never had more adrenaline and fear go like pulsating through his system. So I think he was wide awake and very wired at this point. So he was fine. Midnight, you get this, you have your first pessary. Yes. And then, and and then we're introduced to our very lovely, uh, but slightly uh, like too laid back midwife. Um, And everything's sort of fine. And like, I'm just sort of hanging out on the bed and not really, you know, I can't, I, I haven't really felt anything. And then about 2 a.m. Oh, and between this point, so between 12 and 2, Jake went out into the reception area where we first started our story to go and get me some water. And the the, the other pregnant woman is still sat waiting to be seen. I... I Jake just kept his head down, didn't look them in the eye, got the water and quickly came back inside the delivery suite as fast as he could. They, I, I, I no idea what their story would have been like, but probably horrendous if they were still waiting there. Um, um, I suddenly start feeling like warmth and tingling around my back. Um, they very quickly ramped up like it went from about naught to 60 within about half an hour at first it was kind of fine and I was like this just feels like a period pain um but what happened is the because and this can happen when you have an induction um my everything up so I my body was basically very very ready to give to get to 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 give birth and I probably would have done if I'd wasted a few more days um, so when they inserted the gel, it just made everything go very, very fast. So I essentially went straight into active labour, missed out the early stages, and I was contracting back to back. Almost so I went, I think I was, I went from at about still 
two centimeters and by 4 a.m. it was like four centimeters dilated and then by 5 a.m. she arrived so it all went incredibly quickly oh my god sorry Tiggy's making a lot of noise at the moment um <laughs> that is that is unreal so just just to pause for a moment obviously you had that was very 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 quick so an induction success story shall we say but can you in your own words describe to us what a contraction feels like it felt like um a real rushing feeling so it was a bit like a bit like you are kind of I can see why people call it a surge because it does start it's low and then it builds and it has a peak and then it comes back down again um so it's like a kind of it is kind of like this rushing feeling um for me it just felt like a really strong period cramp that starts in your back and comes around to your front um but it was so because they was they were so close together it was hard to kind of take a moment to breathe and like chill out between them so I was not really loving them and I had done hypnobirthing and so I at least knew that it was only going to be 60 seconds of discomfort and then there was going to be a break so I really really relied on 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 my hypnobirthing counting but all the breathing and all of the positive affirmations all of that just went completely out the window you didn't have any drugs, did you, at all? But did you do anything like, was Jake giving you like counter pressure? Was there anything like that? Were you uh, lying on your back? Were you on your front? Were you standing? I doing, so I was, I was trying to move around. I had quite a small room, but I was, I was trying, I remember trying, I was sort of walking around a bit or sort of hobbling around. And I had, there was a birth ball in there um, but it was like the world's smallest birth ball. Um, and I sat on it and it was almost like it completely was deflated at this point. I feel like my bum was almost touching the floor. Um, and um, I didn't have any, I didn't have any um, like strong painkillers, but I did have gas and air. Um, and where the bed was placed, it was very, very close to the, to the window. And the, the chair was in between the bed and the, and the window. Um, and then all of the kind of machinery and, and computers were at the other end of the room. Um, so we had this kind of little like it was almost like a little dark. I felt like it was like a little dark cave. It felt very animalistic. Jake was sat on the chair and I was on this ball at this point was so low. It was like you could only see my eyes over the side of the bed. And I'm there like huffing on this gas and air and just like watching the midwives come in and out I'm like don't come near my cave like this I mean I'm in my, I'm in my like feral like mode of, like it was so animalistic and I just remember looking around being like yeah I'm sort of safe in my cave right now I think I was probably quite high on the gas and air absolutely and did you have any transition period uh that moment of shift yeah so um you know it's all happened so quickly it feels like it like all was over in about a space of a minute but I think I um I had bands on my tummy because of having the induction they just want to monitor baby so I had these two bands on your tummy and they are rubbish because they just fall off every time you move around or you try and get into a new position and what happens is then they can't monitor baby's like heart rate and contractions very well but because towards the end, so yeah, as I was much as I um, as I was kind of getting much much further along, I was moving around quite a lot. I was walking backwards and forwards to the bathroom, 
um I was sort of like bouncing ish on on the ball I was sort of standing and I would sw like swaying I did have a tens machine on as well actually that was that was helpful uh, but when the contraction started you needed to turn it up so that it could try and counteract against the contraction if you accidentally the dials were quite sensitive and if you accidentally turned it too much the tens machine was more intense than the contraction which was horrible <laughs> but I was just moving yeah I was sort of moving around a lot um and I guess my bands weren't staying put. So they called in the, the obstetrician back in because they just wanted to check over everything. And um, he said to the, he did say to the midwife, oh, you, she's like contracting back to back. Maybe you should have like stayed on top of this. And she was like, oh, I couldn't do anything. Apparently I kept trying to fight the midwife who was like, do you want to take some drugs? And I was like, no. She's like, do you want me to break your waters? I was like, no, just leave me in my cave. I just want to sit here and, and take all this gas and air and not be not be touched or moved around too much by somebody else. But I think when he came in, he checked me. And I remember thinking, I, I if this goes on any longer, I'm going to have to have an epidural. And he got me to get on the bed and he was like, Right, yeah, you are 10 centimetres. So I guess that was like the transition panic, I need an epidural adrenaline moment that you have. So it wasn't like, I desperately need this now. It was more like, if this carries on for longer, it would be really nice to have an epidural because this is not all that fun. Um, but he was like, yeah, you're, yeah, you're about to, uh, like, you're 10 centimetres. This is going to happen any minute. Um, yeah. So tell us about birth itself if you or what you can remember so um after this doctor had examined me and told me I was 10 centimeters for some reason I oh I so I climbed off the I climbed off the bed I think I needed to go to the toilet because then I was I remember being standing up and my my waters had started to break beforehand but they were like they like really like like the they flooded everywhere so I was like just one walking back from the toilet just like bodily fluids just flowing I think there was some on Jake's shoe that was on the floor it's on the bed I was standing there and I was having a contraction and 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 I suddenly that that was when the the pushing feeling started and um I said oh I I feel like I need to push and the doctor went can you just hang on for 10 minutes and I was like absolutely not no I'm not hanging on for 10 minutes I need to push now and he went oh all right then just you know just just get on the bed so I I like climbed up on on the bed and on all fours why did he want you to wait I have no idea I have no idea but yeah I was then finally up on the bed in like a properly like in a good position so I had my face my and my front was was facing the back of the bed and I was kind of gripping hold of the top of the bed and and, and like kneeling and it was almost like a relief at this point because the cramping stopped and what replaced it was this like overwhelming urge to just really like to push so in between each contraction my body went into this most like blissful relaxed feeling that I was not anticipating at all no one had told me that that was going to happen but it was like every time between the contractions my body melted into the bed and the doctors were like wow she's like you're doing really really well like you are really coping well because I was just able to relax 
I think that just helped move things along quite quickly. Um, and they were, they were, you know, they didn't seem to want to like hold me back again. They were like, okay, she's, yeah, she's good to go. She's ready. So the doctor kind of leaves and it's just, I'm just left with my midwife and yeah, it's wild. Like the feeling of pushing is absolutely wild. Like it's like your body just knows absolutely in that moment what to do. And I start like, because I've done, I did hypnobirthing and I've done all these like pregnancy yoga classes and, and watched birth stories and whatsoever and, and been told, oh, you can like breathe out your baby and you can like make these low noises and like really animalistic noises. I like start like really like making some like grunting noises during the pushing. And my midwife just taps me on the back and she goes, no, no, don't you're just using up far too much energy doing that darling just stop just stop what you're doing just just focus on pushing and I was like immediately stopped <laughs> just like oh okay I thought this is what you're supposed to do I thought it's supposed to make these like wild animal noises but she was actually right she was like realized that I was doing what I thought you're supposed to do and she was like no you don't need to just just stare down and just push and I and I stayed pretty much in the same position like I didn't really move positions I you know the midwives again you're sort of told I'll oh, move in this position try this position move to that position and I think if you're having a long labor maybe that's what happens for me it was just all going so quickly where they were really focusing on you know monitoring baby and monitoring me um and I was just like you know contraction after contraction so I stayed pretty much in exactly that position for about 25 minutes. But the problem with being in that position and having um, the bands on is that every time you push, the bands were slipping. So they weren't able to keep monitoring uh, Robin's heart rate properly. So they did have to put one of their little monitors on her head. And they really, really wanted to assist me. I could just feel it. They really wanted me to be on my back. And I was absolutely adamant. There was no way in hell I was getting on my back. They even were trying. So they were saying, oh, we need to monitor baby. The bands aren't working. You know, we can't monitor the heart rate. That could Something could be going wrong. We need to put a monitor on her head. And I was like, fine. And they were like, you need to get on your back. And I was like, no. And the next thing I know, they're like, oh, actually, you're crowning. So we can just do it while you're crowning. And she just like whipped it on her head while the, like the, the, the baby's head was kind of already like showing. Yeah, they, they, the bands were because of the induction. Just because there's a, because it's an intervention, there's just slightly more risk that something baby can like not react well. And because it's for me, it's very, very fast. And that can sometimes, you know, cause a bit of stress that cause the baby a bit of stress because they're coming so quickly out of the birth canal so they will monitor you if you have a, additional monitoring if you have an induction um yeah yeah so they'd been trying to get me on my back and I was like adamant that I didn't want to um and um even though things were going fairly quickly they were still taking a bit more time than the midwives wanted and after about 25 minutes 30 minutes the midwife was like, look, you need to get on your back now. I'm not like, no, like th there's no more like a choice. You need to get on your back because baby's really tired and we need to help you. So they were trying to turn me around now. And I was like, okay, finally resisted. Cause I, at that point it was about her and getting her out safely. And I, before when the bands were, were dropping, I, I knew that that was, she was fine. I just knew that they, they needed to monitor it. And I was like, I'm I can do this but when they start telling me oh no she's getting tired we're gonna have to help 
I was like, okay, fine. So with a lot of resistance, but still I, I decided, you know, listen to what the midwives are saying. They start turning me around. So I go from being, you know, face forward on the bed to being um, lengthways across the bed. Um, and my midwife, thankfully, we, was really quite a large, like, built woman. She was big, tall, st really strong. And she's, like, gripping hold of me, trying to turn me around. And as I, um, like I said, lengthways across the bed, I suddenly get this really strong contraction. And I grip hold of her like I, um, like, fighting for my life. And the next thing I know, Robin falls out of me and falls onto the table as they're just trying to move me around I was like I just had this push this final push in me and I knew I had to get her out then and there and she yeah she fell out onto the table and screaming her head off wow that is brilliant and did you do things like delayed cord clamping did Jake cut the cord I Jake did cut the cord um I don't remember a lot because it was just so wild, this like moment. And I'd said like, um, you know, I didn't want, I wanted cord clamping. I wanted to, you know, have the placenta come out naturally. I didn't want her to be like rubbed down. But the moment she came out, I just didn't give a shit about any of that. They were like, do you want to have the, do you want us to give the injection to have the placenta? And I was like, if you want, I don't care. Like, do you want to um, do some skin to skin? I was like, yeah. And they're like, okay, we'll rub her down. And I didn't even like fight them for about it. Um, and I, I don't know if they did delay clamping. I think they did, but I don't know. <laughs> I was just at this point, having kind of fought them throughout being like, no, I'm not turning around. And no, I'm not having my waters broken. And um, I just, the moment she arrived, I was like, you can do whatever you like to me. I don't care just like gazing down this baby being like oh my god like what has just happened that was absolutely wild so tell us a little bit about that moment of holding robin in your arms i like was a hundred percent looking back like flooded with oxytocin like immediately like i just i just kept looking at her and like looking at jake and there were some photos that the midwife took of us and i'm so grateful this is something that's like neither of us would have done because we were just completely blown away and exhausted and all sorts of emotions flooding through us. But the midwife picks up Jake's phone and immediately takes some photos. And Jake and I have never looked more tired and yet more happy in our entire life. They are like, it's such lovely pictures. And there's not loads. I That's something that I wish there was just, we had had more of with some photos in the, in the labor and the, you know, and the delivery, um, like, I even wonder how, if it would have been quite not Jake was really busy the whole time I was uh, properly giving birth fanning me with a sick bucket and trying to give me the gas and air and uh, and counting so he was kind of counting through each push for me based on the hypnobirthing counting of going up for four and down for eight um, so he you know he was really busy um, but I think it would have been quite cool to have filmed it just to have, have that moment again and be able to like look at it from a different perspective because it was so wild. Honestly, like was looking down at her. I was still covered in amniotic fluid and blood and meconium and the midwives were like rushing around trying to like 
stitch me up and clean up the room and I just looked at Jake and I was like I just I would do that all over again that was I could just literally do that all over again like I let's have let's have loads of babies so I think I was really full of oxytocin at that point (laughs) really high on the love drug that's brilliant what did Jake do in that moment he I think he was the same I think he was just like that was amazing and and just deliriously happy both of us were just immediately felt incredibly happy that is such a wild story um (laughs) so I've got three questions for you that I've asked you to have a little think about the first one is what is your what's a top tip or piece of advice that you'd give to your former self I guess what would I do I'm actually like I have yeah I have to say that I considering everything that happened you know with the the pregnancy loss um I did actually overall really enjoy my pregnancy um and I I guess I would have just you know I kind of wish that we had tried a bit sooner I mean we it, it we had to we had to work out because you know we we got married in June and I'm really glad that we did that and we we had to we had to have it a bit later um just to make sure that my mum was in a better position but yeah I actually looking back like it was all went so well even with yeah even with the miscarriage in the background um the first 12 weeks were tough but once we were over those I did I did enjoy being pregnant I I think I took a like a photo of my bump every few weeks and like you know would look back and be like oh look it's got bigger and I spent a lot of time with friends and family and like doing really nice things for myself um, and like going to Pilates and yoga. And so I I think it would have been, you know, it would have been nice to maybe to try a little bit sooner, but then, you know, we wouldn't have her. So Great. And so next question is what now that you've had Robin, what's the best? What's the best (laughs) thing that you've done one handed? God, I mean, I don't remember life before not being one handed. I I don't know what I did with two hands. Many things I've done one handed now. Um, you know, go to the toilet. Let's be honest. Everyone has done that with their baby in their arms. That's quite impressive. Um, juggled various like shopping bags and bits and pieces. I think one arm is like really strong now compared to the other. The like arm that I carry her in. That's brilliant. So I've got Tiggy's really chatting away here. Um, so and finally, whilst feeding her, what food have you dropped on her? So another um another tangent, but one thing that's been the the absolute best, the best, best, best about being pregnant, um, and I guess you know, now as well, uh probably breastfeeding. Um I before I got pregnant was wheat intolerant for about 13 years so I avoided all gluten and now I've discovered actually thanks to the the lovely box of goodies that you and Emily sent from E5 Bakehouse I have discovered that I can now eat wheat and have zero symptoms um so I have been eating every single baked good within about a two mile radius of my house on a daily basis Robin has come along for the ride. So, so far she's had, she's had croissant crumbs dropped on her. She's had, she's had sausage roll flakes dropped on her. Um, And yeah, I felt particularly bad one day when she likes being, she likes lying across my lap. So I had her, she was asleep lying across my lap and I was eating a particularly flaky 
um, croissant and I looked down and there were um, flakes all over her face and there was one in her ear which did come out I did pick it out but I felt so really brilliant good. yeah I've done exactly the same yeah so now I now if she's lying across me I just drape a little napkin over her face <laughs> <laughs> that is amazing that's really really cool I'm glad that you have had that discovery of being able to eat um wheat that's that's awesome I'm um, looking back over everything that you've spoken to us about is there anything that you haven't said that you'd like to say? I guess, yeah, I mean, I think like so much about pregnancy and birth uh, that's really unique to to your to your yourself, um, and you are really going into the unknown. Uh, I, I I love there's some there's so many similarities, and like you know, I, I love hearing particularly about I think once baby has arrived, everybody seems that's when it seems to become very similar like listening to some of your other people talk on your podcast I'm like oh yeah that I definitely relate to that yep I definitely did that uh, and, um you know the punami moments and the putting the baby in the middle of the bed and and um just you know the sleepless nights but I think with pregnancy it's just your unique journey really get all the support that you can and and you know one way or another you're hopefully going to end up with a lovely baby at the end and and yeah and and but if you don't you know make sure that you have from the get-go have all of that support from your friends and their family and and not if you can't get that I think just relying on the resources that are around like when I miscarried the NHS did actually put me in touch with a counsellor so I had some free counselling um and then when I was pregnant again you know my GP was really lovely and gave and we got that early scan so we had you know we actually ended up having two scans at the beginning and 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 I think now as well as a new mum you know I have had my mum here like I said so many times and I've had my sister and and I don't think I could have got through all a lot of it without having that kind of support network around me and I've really that's definitely something I want more women to have and I wish that more women had. Yeah absolutely and it's not I'm you know I know that for some people listening it's really difficult to get those people around but it is it's I suppose in some ways part of why I wanted to do this podcast is just having sometimes it's just about hearing other people's experiences isn't it yeah exactly I mean yeah your everyone's journey is different and everyone's birth is totally yeah. totally different um but yeah it's there's nothing you can't predict how it's gonna happen you know I had no idea what my my labor was gonna be like I had a, an inkling that it was gonna be fast because my sister had two very fast births um, her midwife said that one of her births was a cough and a push and then funny enough one of my midwife told me I sneezed my baby out but you, yeah you just don't know what's you just don't know what's there so just talk to people if you have them talk to friends and talk to family and 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 it can be quite isolating for a lot of people I think and yeah if you don't have that support network there are hopefully you know around where you are things on offer even just getting to, even just doing an antenatal group so to Robin's just waking up. Good timing. Wonderful. Thank you so, so, so much for sharing with us. Um, I really, really appreciate it. And yeah, thank you. And until next time, I guess. Oh, you're welcome. I hope it was, yeah, informative and not too ranty. Wonderful. <laughs> Thank you for joining us on A Village. If you enjoyed the show, please give us a rating and share with others. 
You can find us on Instagram at a.village.honest.stories. And if you want to get in touch or tell me your birth story, contact a.village.honest.stories at gmail.com. Until next time, bye! As you can probably tell, I'm building this podcast alone in my spare time around looking after Tiggy. Want to support? You can sign up for a membership or buy me a coffee by searching for A Village on ko-fi.com or find the link in the podcast description. Thank you for your support.